Masechet Kitubot of Peh Gimel. We begin the ninth perek. We're continuing the topic of Nichse Melog. That's property that the wife brings into the marriage or inherits during the marriage. And she retains the title, although the husband gets the rights to the fruit during the marriage. Uh, that's one right he has. A second right he has is that he will inherit. If she dies first, he inherits the property. There are restrictions, however. Both the husband and the wife are prohibited from selling the land during the marriage. She cannot sell it because he has claim to it. He has claim for over the over the fruit. And he cannot sell it because uh, it belongs to her and is going to go to her at the end of the marriage uh, should he die first. Okay, now we're going to talk about cases where the husband wants to relinquish some or all of his rights to her property. Maybe this is part of the negotiation for whatever reason. He says, I have no legal dealings, no law or words uh, with any of your property. Uh, so it sounds like he's just distancing himself. You keep everything. Even though he said that, nevertheless, he still has a right to consume the produce during her lifetime. And if she dies, he still inherits. So he still keeps both of those rights. So now you're wondering, So what does this mean when he says, I have no legal dealings with your property if he still keeps both of those rights? And it applies to the following, What he's giving, granting her, is that if she wants to sell it or gift the property away during the marriage, that transaction is valid. Normally, it would not be valid because he says, hey, I have a claim. You brought this into the marriage. Your title is yours, but I get to use it during the marriage and I get to inherit it. So he'll still get to use it and inherit it. It's just that she has a right to sell it because he wrote that formula uh, into the Ketubah. Now, I'll test another formula. If he adds another word in the, in the Ketubah and says, I have no legal dealings with your property, nor with its produce. So in that case, indeed, he does give up the right to the produce. He can't come and change his mind later and says, no, no, I want the produce. She can look at, look at the Ketubah here. It says, you said you're not going to take the produce. Nevertheless, once she dies, he still can inherit. He doesn't give that up. Okay. The Buddha says, even if he says, um, I'm giving away my, my rights to the produce, the husband can still enjoy the produce of the produce. That would mean that she has this land, it has produce. Let's say she, now she gets it. She takes that produce, she takes the money, and she puts it in some investment another piece of land, and that land itself produces produce that the husband can get um, because he she only excluded, uh, he only excluded the produce, but not the second step produce. But if he writes, I have no legal dealings with your property, with this produce, or with the second generation produce forever, only then, if he writes that, would she be able to keep that second, third generation produce. Now, next formula. This is now a full formula. I have no dealings with you or your property, not their produce, not the produce of the produce, not in your lifetime and not after your death. That's what he writes in the Ketubah. 
In that case, eno ochel perot havimeta eno yorsha. Then he does not have any of the produce, and not the second or third generation, and not and if he, and if she dies, he does not inherit. The land will go to her, back to her family. That is the opinion of Tanakama. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel Omeri meta yirashena mipne shematne amashikatu b'Torah v'chol amatne amashikatu b'Torah tena obatel. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel disagrees regarding the inheritance part. He says if he if she dies, he does inherit it, even though he said, I have no dealings with you or this, with this property even after you die. The reason is because this would be a condition that contradicts a law in the Torah. The laws in the Torah talk about inheritance law, and the rabbis derive from the word she'er, that a husband, um, uh, a, a husband inherits from the wife. And so if someone makes a stipulation against the Torah, the stipulation is void, and that's why he uh, uh, he gets the land, nevertheless, according to um, Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel. Okay, now the Gemara has a um, going to add uh, one one piece of information here. Taner Omer There's a Brayta Rebichia taught that's the same as our Mishnah, except it has the word, it says the word Haomer instead of Akotev. Uh, and this comes to teach us that he doesn't actually have to write it in a document in the Ketubah or other document. He can even just say it orally and it will have the very same effect. Okay, now we ask about both the oral or written formula. How does this work? Even if he wrote it, it shouldn't work because let's compare it to a uh, a partnership. Let's say you have two people that are partners in a certain property, and one of them doesn't want to deal with it anymore. I don't know, maybe there's some lawsuits, maybe there's some uh, problems, a leak, whatever. He just wants out. And so he tells his friend, I have no legal dealings uh, regarding this field. I have no uh, business with it. My hand is removed from it. Even if he says that, it does not accomplish anything because he's just saying words. He didn't do an exchange. Um, anytime you want, if you want to transfer the land, fine, do some kind of exchange like uh, um, you know, a Kenyan Khalipin. He you, you transfer a handkerchief or anything of any value, symbolic exchange, and then so you I'm um, giving up my right. Uh, to this. You give me a handkerchief and then you take the right. Well, fine, if you do an actual exchange, good. But if you just say, hey, I have no dealings with this land, it doesn't do anything. And so in our case also, uh, just because the husband uh, says or writes, doesn't matter, I have no dealings with this land, it shouldn't matter. He should still have a right afterwards to come and say, yeah, uh, that that's nothing. I still have a right to come and take the produce and inherit because uh, he didn't do an actual exchange. Okay, here's the answer. So Rebbeinah explains that Amish not talking about a case where he wrote this while they are still only did Kiddushin before Nisuin. During that time period, it didn't yet transfer to the husband. So you're right. If there's if they're partners, that would be the same as if they already did nisuin. In that case, already doing nisuin are like partners. It's interesting that's like partners, even though she retains the full title to the land, but he as kind of like a you know a sharecropper, even more. He has all the rights to the produce and also will inherit. So it's a kind of a partnership, and so that you cannot um, you renounce your share of the partnership just with words or in writing. 
or even in writing until you actually do a, a, a kinyan. That's true. But before the nisuin, before the marriage, it didn't yet come into his uh, uh, domain at all. He's not yet a partner. So before that, he can say, I refuse to accept the partnership of your land, and that will work even if you just write it, even if only with words. You don't need it to, to do a kinyan. So that's what Amishnah is talking about. And this is supported by Rav Kana. Rav Kana. If a person is going to get an inheritance, falls to a person from some other place, some whatever, a rich uncle dies, and he's going to inherit, he can say, I will inherit on condition, and put whatever condition that he doesn't want to fully inherit. That's fine. He's allowed to do that. But once he already owns it, if he's already in a partnership, then he cannot just relinquish his um, his responsibilities and rights to it. It's also supported by a statement of Rava, where if someone, someone says, I opt out of uh, an ordinance of the sages. The sages did something for a person's benefit, like here, where the uh, the sages said that the husband gets to enjoy the produce of the land, and that's for his benefit, so he can use the produce to feed and uh, uh, and enhance the household. If he says, uh, thank you very much, rabbis, for doing that, but no thanks, I want to opt out, uh, we listen to him, he can do that. So it means that he does have a right to do that, but only before it comes to him before the Nisu'in, and so that is the explanation of the Bianai. All right, now that we quoted Rava, who said, like this, he was referring to like something. What case was he referring to? Rava was talking about an example of a woman who says to her husband, uh, I, um, I, I will feed myself, and I am not working for you, meaning my wages will not go to you. Uh, it's true, the rabbis made a takana for the benefit of a woman that the husband has to feed her, provide for her, and in exchange he gets her wages. And usually that's a good deal for a wife, so it benefits the wife. But if you have a woman who um, has a high-paying job and she says, I'll take care of myself, I'd rather be independent financially, I keep my wages, you don't have to feed me, that's her right to reject what the rabbis instituted for her. Now we ask, wait a second, if Rava's uh, statement is true and the person can at any time reject what, what, the, what the rabbis uh, did for their benefit, then even after they're married, how come the husband can't say uh, from now on, even after the marriage, you know what, you keep your property, I don't want the produce. What, what's what, what's uh, why can't he say that during the after the marriage? Abaye explains that one. Well, no, once they're married, his hand is like her hand, meaning he takes a, a partnership in the land, and so this is different from her because of her saying you keep your you keep your food, I'll keep my wages. And there, there's no land that their partners over. Each day is another deal. Every day, um, she brings her wages from that day. Uh, whatever she made, and he bring, gives her a sandwich. So uh, it's not a partnership, but rather an ongoing agreement, and therefore uh, she can opt out at any time. Whereas with the land, once they're married, the land becomes uh, partly his, and therefore he cannot relinquish it just by saying so. He would have to do a more formal 
kinyan. Lava amar yado adifa miyada. Lava says not only is it equal, actually his access, his part of the partnership is even greater than hers. Even though she retains the title, he is the one that makes decisions uh, and takes the produce. He can't sell it, but he can decide what he, how he wants to use the land. So in fact, he has an even greater share. So certainly he cannot just give it up by saying so. Nafkamina l'shemet yava. What's the difference between Abaye and Rava? Uh, there has no nafkamina in the case of this of a marriage because according to both, he cannot give up his share just by saying so. So the only difference between them would be if if uh, the husband dies without children, and then she and then the and so now the estate falls somewhere in between. It could go to her, it could go to him, depending are they going to do yibum, are they going to do chalitza? And if she dies during that time period, then what happens? We saw in the previous pedic, this is a machloket between Bet Shammai, says they split it evenly, Bet Hilel, that different things get split in different ways. And so it's in this, regarding that machloket and how to interpret it, uh, Abaye would say uh, they have equal shares. Rava would say he has greater access to it. That's all they, that's the difference between their two opinions. But regarding here, um, just the, the regular marriage case, they agree that he cannot relinquish his relinquish his rights just by using words. Okay, Ibaylehu question. Kanu miyado mahu. What if the uh, now going back to the partnership case? There's nothing to do with our Mishnah or marriage. Just two partners, um, and one wants to relinquish his uh, responsibility and rights over this land that they own together. What if? Okay, you just said he can't just say so. But what if they do a Kenyan? They do a Kenyan Chalipin. One gives a handkerchief to the other. And it says, by accepting this handkerchief, I relinquish my rights. It's your land. Uh, does that, is that valid or not? Amad Av Yosef, Medinu Devarim Kanu Rav Yosef says, no. This is the same as just uh, saying, I, I, I relinquish my legal rights to the land. And by, when he says that, it doesn't, acquire, it doesn't do anything. So this handkerchief only concretizes the words that themselves don't mean anything. So therefore, the act is meaningless. The idea is that person doesn't really have in mind that he wants to completely uh, uh, divest himself of the property. Um, he just doesn't want to be responsible for it, but he doesn't have in mind to completely transfer the property. So therefore, it does nothing. Rav Nachman disagrees and says, this is a proper transaction. You can transfer land with uh, this Kinyan Chalipin, this, this symbolic exchange, and the um, very land itself goes, transfers to the other guy, and the one who gave it away cannot get it back. So Abaye makes a compromise between them and says, I think Rav Yosef's, Rav Yosef's uh, ruling that nothing happens makes sense in a case where um, Ored, he's awake, he immediately is awake. That means that, um, uh, let's say, uh, I... Uh, relinquished my, the rights to you. I took the handkerchief. I said, I don't want to. I don't want to have any um, dealings with this anymore. And then you go and you take the land, right? You go and fence it in, and you start using it, take, put, building something on it. And now, if I immediately or dead, I'm immediately awake, and I say, Hey, that's my land. That shows that I really did not want to relinquish totally my uh, my share of the land. And so, in that case, that shows that Rav Yosef is right, and that Kinyan, the handkerchief deal, that, that really didn't do anything.
אבל בעומד בגופה של קרקע, קנו מידו. But if the same circumstances happen, you come and you fence in my, 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 my uh, uh, share, and you put a lock on it, I have no access to it, and I wait around for a few days and I don't even do anything, that reveals that I really did have in mind to completely transfer my ownership of the property. And so in that case, uh, indeed, like Rav Nachman says, um, it is a full transfer. So really, it depends on the one's mindset, and you can reveal what one's mindset was based on their actions later. That's what Abaye says. Amar says the bottom line halacha is this does work if you um, if you just say so it doesn't work but if you do a kinyan chalipin uh, then the, the actual land transfers and I cannot go come after and claim my land back and say hey now I want you know you go and sell it for double the price I can't come and say hey I want my share no I saw I, I gave it away. Asks, are you saying that your halacha across the board, no matter what, that the the transfer happens, or only if I don't say anything for a few days, right? Are you agreeing completely with, with Rav Nachman, or are you agreeing with the compromised position of Abaye? Uh, now, what would be the difference? Uh, would be, the difference would be Rav Yosef in uh, Abaye's uh, interpretation, who said that Rav Yosef makes sense only if I object right away, but not if I don't object right away. So, what did you mean? He said, I never heard of that. I never heard of Abaye and his compromise. I never heard of that explanation and limitation of Yosef, meaning he does not. Even if he did hear about it, he doesn't agree with it. So, Amemar said, across the board, if you do a kinyan with a handkerchief, that actually does transfer the land itself. We now analyze the next phrase in the Mishnah. It says, Imken lama katavla. Uh, once again, he said, I have no dealings with your property. And while that sounds like it's a, it's across the board, the Mishnah says, no, that he can still uh, inherit, he can still get the produce. We assume the minimal interpretation that's only referring to one right, and that's her right to sell the land. Um, that by saying the statement, I have no dealings with you, that gives her the right to sell or gift the land that otherwise she wouldn't have. Now we ask, how come we're interpreting it in the minimum way? This is written in the document, in the Ketubah. How come the wife can't come and say, look, it says here, you have no dealings with it. Therefore, go away. You don't take the produce. You do not inherit, right? Because it can have a maximal interpretation too. So why can't she give the maximum interpretation and take all that? says the one holding the document that's her right she's holding the ketubah she her hand is at a, as a, as a disadvantage in other words he'll come and claim i only meant the minimum interpretation of it and she would have to prove that he meant more than that uh, so uh, she, the burden of proof is on her and therefore we take the minimal interpretation all right now we're going to ask how do you know that the minimal interpretation is, in fact, referring to the her right to sell? Maybe it's talking about produce. Ve'ema mi pere. How come she can't she can't come and say? Uh, or weren't you talking about the, uh, the 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 fruit? After all, that seems like a more minimal interpretation, the fruit of the land, rather than her right to sell the entire piece of land. So, um, if we're assuming the minimal interpretation, she should be able to say, "Hey, I'm going to keep the produce." 
Amar Abaye, Bosina, Tav Mikada. A good expression to remember always. A cucumber is better than a gourd. Uh, meaning, uh, this is the same as a cucumber in one's hand, a small fruit. Is better than a gourd that's big, but you're gonna to have to wait longer for it. This is like same as saying a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. A person would rather have the produce now, even though it's less than the amount of the whole field, rather than um, uh, that. Rather, uh, uh, he would rather have that rather than the right of the possibility that she might sell the whole land later. That's true, she might sell the whole land later, and that would be a bigger loss, but he'd rather not lose out on the immediate gratification of taking the produce now. And therefore, in actual actuality, the minimal interpretation is her right to sell the land um, because a person would rather have the produce, although monetarily the produce is worth less. Okay, wait a second, why don't we say the minimal interpretation is the inheritance? After all, that's going to happen after a very long time. Death is common. There's a one out of two chance that he, that she will predecease him, and uh, therefore he will be able to get it. So he doesn't want to give away a right that one fifty percent chance he will get. Whereas sale, uh, sale is not uh, so frequent. It's only a smaller chance that she will decide that she wants to sell her and her, her her land that she brought into the marriage with. She's probably not going to want to sell that. And when a person has to uh, relieve him, remove himself from some right, see, this is all part of the, some negotiation. You know, they said, hey, you know, I'll agree to the marriage. She says, if you relinquish some right to the land that I'm bringing in, fine. So he'll, if he could pick the right, he's always going to pick the minimal one, and he's always is always going to pick the one that is less common rather than the one that's more common, right? When something's uncommon, you don't even think about it. You don't take flood insurance because so what are the chances there's going to be a flood? Um, uh, whereas things that are more common that you worry about, and so that's why the inheritance is worth more to him. The the least valuable item of the three is her ability to sell. Ravashe has a different uh, explanation than Abaye. He says, this phrase itself, he says, I'm going to have no din or devarim in your property. So property implies the land and not the produce. And property implies the land, the right to sell the land. It doesn't mean inheritance. And so since he said the words property, that the, the word themselves, it's not just because it's the minimum of the three, but because that itself implies the right to sell the land. Good. Rabbi Yudah says that if a husband wrote, um, I relinquish the rights to your property and its produce, uh, then it's true, he cannot have the first generation produce, but he can have access to the second generation produce. Let's analyze this. What's the definition of first generation and second generation produce? If she brings land into the, into the marriage and they produce fruit, that's the first generation perot. Machar perot perot perot. However, if he sold, sells the fruit and buys land with it, 
and that land itself produces fruit, then that is the second generation produce. So by saying he relinquishes his right to first generation, she'll get that first generation. But if she doesn't actually eat it itself, but he reinvests it, he can get the second generation reinvestment. Okay. So the Biuda then followed up his statement that said, if a man does want to renounce all, all rights to the fruit first and second and future generations, he has to write, I relinquish my right to the land and it's perot and pere perot ad olam. So he has to write both of these phrases, pere perot ad olam. That's what we're asking. According to the Biudat, does he really have to write um, uh, uh, pere perot? Or is that the key phrase and ad olam is just giving us an explanation? Or does he really have to write ad olam up to infinity and, uh, and pere perot is optional? Or maybe he actually has to write both the second generation, pere perot, and he has to write ad olam up to infinity if he wants to give away everything, all generations, that he has to write both phrases. Okay, that's the question. Which phrase is the key one, one or the other or both? So now we're going to go through all three possibilities and explain the logic. We're not going to have an answer to this. These are three legitimate explanations to the wording of the Biuda. So option one is, what all he has to write if he wants to really give up everything is I'm giving up pere perot. Good. Um, and uh, uh, and that implies all generations. So in that case, ad olam lamali. So how come the Biuda said the word ad olam in the Mishnah? Hakamash malan keban dekatavla pere perot ke man dekatavla ad olam dame. The words ad olam are just a commentary. As long as you write pere perot, it's as if you wrote in for infinity. But all you really need is the first phrase. Okay, second possible interpretation. The main phrase, key phrase you need is forever. So, but all you have to write is, I give up the perot ad olam. And you don't need to write pere perot. So in that case, how come in the Mishnah it does say pere perot lamali? No, the Mishnah includes the words pere perot to teach you that even if you if you if you wrote pere perot, you still need ad olam. Uh, so if you wrote ad olam, it's good. If you wrote pere perot without the word olam, then it will not go on to infinity. It will only include the second generation, and that's it. So the word pere uh, perot is there to teach us that that it, it itself is insufficient. So by adding the word ad olam, it shows pere perot by itself is insufficient. Okay, third possibility. If you want to say, oh, for all generations, you have to write pere perot and you have to words the right ad olam. So, so why would I need both? Okay, I need I need both phrases because if I only write pere perot and I don't write forever, uh, then I would think that that only means that he cannot have the second generation, but the third generation and on the husband can eat. That's why he needs the clarification, and you need to write the words ad olam. Okay, 
a perot ka'e lahachi esterich pere perot. And if he just writes, I relinquish my rights to perot ad olam, and misses skips the middle phrase, then I would interpret the olam to mean time-wise. I uh, has been saying I relinquish my rights to the fruit forever, right, for many many years to come, no matter how long it is, no matter how much fruit. And I wouldn't know. Uh, I would not assume that it's referring to generations of reinvested income. Uh, so that's why I have to write pere perot. That, that's how I know it's talking about produce or produce, and the olam therefore is not a time uh, that goes on forever, but rather any amount of in generations of reinvestment. All right, those are three possibilities. We do not answer which one it is. But we do have another question. Until now, we were assuming that he was writing, I have no uh, dealings with the, the, your property or its fruit or the fruit of its fruit. But what if he leaves out the fruit part, the first generation? He only says your property and the second generation fruit. Then what about the first generation fruit? Is that implied or excluded? Certainly the husband then cannot have, he removes himself from the second generation fruit. And therefore, do we say on the one hand, he did not relinquish himself from the first generation fruit so he can have it. Or does he mean by that that he uh, excludes himself from all the produce, both the first and the second generation, the second generation including the first that's the question that we try to answer it. It seems uh, uh, obvious that he's removing himself from both the first and second generation. Because if you think that he's only removing himself from the second generation, but he keeps the first, so that means he's, he's going to consume and take the first generation. Since he's consuming all the first generation, how will there ever be a second generation? If he eats all the olives of the first generation, then there's not going to be any olives left to go and sell them and buy land and have second generation produce. So it must be that he means all generations, because you can't have a second generation or a generation without a first generation. Okay, that's a good logic, but we reject it. Look, in the Mishnah, it gives a case that's the opposite case, um, where he consumes the Pere Perot unless he writes for her, I relinquish Perot and Pere Perot. Meaning, if he only says, uh, I relinquish perot, so she can eat the perot, but he can have the second generation. That's what the Yudah says. says. So, uh, uh, I'll ask you the same question about the very case in the Mishnah. If she eats the first generation uh, of fruit, because that's what he said. He said, you, you know, you can have the first generation. Uh, and Rebuta says he keeps the second generation. Well, if she already consumed all the first generation, then there won't be anything left over. Uh, there won't be any second generation for him to take. So what is Rebuta talking about? So obviously, Ella, you have to interpret it differently. Rather, it's obvious in the case of the Mishnah that there was left over. He said you can have the first generation, but she doesn't consume everything. There's some leftover. If that leftover gets reinvested, he can have the second generation. That's clear in the Mishnah. Same thing here in, in our case where it's flipped. And he says, 
I um, relinquish rights to the second generation. So that means he's not relinquishing rights to the first generation. He's going he's gonna to consume the first generation. But if there's leftovers and they get, re, um, they get uh, reinvested, then the second generation, he is not relinquishing, and that will go to her. So we can interpret it either way, and this question also is left unresolved. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.